Hey friends, I'm Christine Chappell, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In today's episode, we chat with Paul Touches about his book, A Small Book for the Hurting Heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. For more help on this topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Paul Touches is pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Mayfield Heights, Ohio. He has authored many books on topics related to pastoral ministry, counseling, and parenting. Paul has been married to Karen for 32 years, and together they cherish their 10 children and growing tribe of grandchildren. He blogs regularly at counselingoneanother.com. Hey there, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, it's so good to be here again with you, Christine. You get the honor of being the very first guest who has appeared on this podcast twice. So congratulations on that. Wow. Well, thank you. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I'm super excited about today's conversation. But before we get started, I want to ask if you'll spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this book and perhaps even how the Lord has personally ministered to you in your own grief and loss through some of the reflections you've written. Yeah, I would say applying the healing balm of God's word to the hearts of people who are hurting has really been part of the DNA of my ministry for almost 30 years. In the early days of my pastorate in Wisconsin, I had the privilege to also serve as a volunteer chaplain for one of the local hospice providers. And I learned so much from the nurses and the other medical professionals involved in caring for people in their final weeks and days of life. And so I was just given the great privilege to minister the compassion of Christ to these individuals as they were leaving the world, but also to their families after the immediate experience of loss. And so I would say that That really shaped me in my early years of pastoral ministry. And so really as a pastor, I've walked hundreds of families through the experience of loss, but I'm I'm not uh, an alien to loss myself. I know the pain personally. My wife and family have experienced a lot of hurt and loss over the years. And in those times of loss, you know, we've turned to the Word of God, which really is the reason why this book even exists, you know, because Second Corinthians 1 says that God comforts us not only to meet our deepest needs, but also to equip us to bring that same comfort to other people. So really, that's ultimately why I wrote the book. I wrote it to come alongside hurting hearts, to direct them heavenward by ministering Bible truths to the mind and the soul. And so really that's what I'm doing in each of those 50 meditations is drawing hope from a key Bible passage and encouraging ways to apply it. But it's really important too, Christina, and maybe I'm getting ahead of you right out of the gate and I'm sorry, but it's important to recognize that loss comes in so many forms, not only death. I think that when we think of loss, that immediately we think of death. And of course, there is great loss uh, through the death of a spouse, a child, a loved one. There's also loss of relationships through conflict and betrayal and estrangement, divorce, loss of financial security, loss of innocence and dignity through abuse, 
There's loss of health and personal dreams, you know, because of disability or terminal illness. And, and really the list goes on and on and on. We live in a fallen world and there's a lot of loss, but there's, there's a hopeful light that pierces through the fog of loss. And it is this, whatever our grief, whatever our pain, whatever our loss, there is comfort available from Jesus and his word. And that's what I'm trying to convey in this book. Well, I would just say amen, and that you do a wonderful job. I'm just so thankful for the gift the Lord has given you to minister to hurting hearts, the compassion of Christ. I know I was personally encouraged and comforted when I read this book, and so I'm just really thankful that you took the time to pour into it like you did. You opened the book with a compassionate reminder of God's presence, writing, quote, In times of deep loss, when your heart is broken and your spirit is crushed, the Lord himself draws near and says, I will never leave you. Honestly, I know that many people struggle to believe this when sudden yeah. tragedy strikes or loss hits hard. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I, I think that fundamentally our first reaction as human beings, as fallen human beings in a fallen world, is to turn inward instead of upward, mm -hmm. to look inside ourselves for the strength that we need to endure or to deal with hurt. But if we're honest, we actually really are weak people. And, and that's okay. And it's actually by God's design. I, I like to say that we are dependent by design, uh, by God's design. So, so if we try to endure suffering in our own strength, then surely we will feel alone. Mm -hmm. And we doubt the Lord easily. Uh, and so when, when we're doubting and when we feel alone in our hurts, or even when others have actually abandoned us, we are easily tempted to think that God has also turned his face away, but he has not. He is present. That's one of the things I love about the last section of the book of Genesis that deals with the life of Joseph. Over and over, it says that God was with Joseph. He is present with us in our suffering. He has not turned away. And also, I think it's important for us to realize that God has an amazing way of redeeming our losses and hurts, first by using them to, to kind of nudge us to turn to him. And we do that by really embracing his promises, by embracing the promise of his presence. But that doesn't really come naturally to us. So we need to renew our minds and let the Holy Spirit kind of retrain our natural response, so to speak. So loss really can actually become an opportunity for significant spiritual growth in our lives if we lean into the Lord. I agree. I think that's been my experience. And I appreciate that you mentioned in the book that, quote, drawing near to God is a learned habit, not a one-time event. And I think that my yeah. early days as a Christian, I kind of thought that being made new in Christ meant I would have all of these kind of Christian yeah, superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be able to do these yeah. things and that the practice wasn't necessary. I'd just be able to be, you know, um, magically motivated by the Spirit to be able to do these things. And yeah. it didn't work out that way. But over time, as I have walked with Christ, I can see how drawing near to God has been a learned habit. And, you know, when you talked in this particular chapter about God saying, I will never leave you, which he says time and time again in the scriptures about always being with us and being present, uh, for some reason, I just couldn't help but think of for those who have lost something special to them, 
I will never leave you is also almost like you will never lose me. And mm. just replacing that. Yeah. yeah, you know what? We're going to lose a lot of things that are precious and valuable and treasure to us here in this life. But that promise of God's presence is also a promise of of all the things you will lose. Yes. We're in never Christ. going to lose him. Yeah, our union with Christ, you know, secures that relationship for eternity. And what what a great truth that is. Thanks for bringing that application to mind. I really appreciate it, too. You used a word in the book often, and the word is refuge. And that has been just a hot word for me these past few months, hmm. I think, as I have been personally just kind of learning how to engage my emotions and the reading that I've been doing. Refuge just seems to be a constant theme that is coming up for me. And so I wanted to talk about it here. I think the term can sometimes be glossed over really to our detriment. And it seems like we constantly need the reminder that God is our refuge because we are sorely tempted to turn to lesser things when mm -hmm. we are dealing with those overwhelming feelings of grief and loss. So can you help us to hone in on what it means when the Bible says that God is our refuge and why it matters when we're walking through seasons of loss? The image of God being our refuge is, uh, like you said, it's found in, in the scriptures and it's found in many places in the scriptures, actually. But probably the best known is Psalm 46.1, which I personally turn to very often, where the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What he means there by refuge is that God is a safe place. You know, we live in a world that is unsafe. There's a lot of fear in our lives, and, and a lot of it is justified, let's admit it. Mm -hmm. But God is a safe place. He is a shelter in times of trouble. He is a hiding place when the dark storm clouds of loss threaten to uh, defeat our faith or overtake our joy. And so God as our refuge means that he is the one to whom we can run to any time when we feel unsettled about uh, what's going on in our lives and the changes in our present situation. He is the one to whom we can freely also express our fears about all of the unknowns of our future. He, he invites us to talk with him. He invites us to share the burdens that are on our heart. And in that scripture there in Psalm 46, reassuring us that God is our hiding place. He is our refuge, but he's also our strength. He's also the one who's going to cause his grace, as he did in the life of the Apostle Paul, to be made perfect in our weakness. So the power of God is made perfect in our weakness, and that power is a form of his grace. And so I like to encourage people to admit to God that you're weak. You know, you don't have to put on this strong persona to God. I mean, we, we do it to other people. We, you know, we like to appear to be the strong ones. But my word, the Lord already knows who we are. We already knows our struggles. So, so really embracing our weakness and doing that with to the Lord and with the Lord really is, is the first step to receiving the power of his persevering grace. And it's just so important that we realize that he is our refuge. He is our hiding place. He is the one who longs to give to us his all-sufficient grace in our times of weakness. 
I recently had an exchange with my five-year-old daughter, and the Lord was so kind to use this as just a reminder of what it is to be a refuge. You know, Mm -hmm. when you think about a five-year-old, they will come up to you when they're happy and show you, you know, this thing is so cool. Look what I'm doing, and here's my joy, and I want to share it with you, Mom. Or they'll come up to you and say, (laughs) oh, you know, my brother is cheating me out on something. I'm angry. Or if they've hurt themselves, they come to you and say, I've got a boo-boo. I need a Band-Aid. In every single, it's seems like emotional experience mm-hmm. our young children have they're constantly turning to for me my daughter she's turning to me or, or her father and to others maybe some kind of caregiver or grandparent or someone in their life that they trust but just those children are turning to us as refuges to mm-hmm. engage us in their emotional experience and so it was just neat to kind of think of it that way of coming to the lord as a refuge in childlike faith of just engaging yeah. our Abba yeah. Father with whatever we might be feeling, whether it is joy or the yeah. painful emotions of, of grief and loss. And so I was just thankful to kind of view it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. It just kind of put flesh on the idea of refuge. Yeah, that's a great reminder. And we even see that in the book of Psalms. You know, one of the reasons we all love the book of Psalms so much is because of its emotional honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you said, you know, your daughter, your kids come to you with this the honesty of their emotions and what they're struggling with. And and God invites us to do the same because he is a safe place. Your book repeatedly offers hope to those who are hurting. And it reminds readers that, quote, in Jesus, your sorrows are healed. Yet I can't help but think of how a statement like that could sometimes be misinterpreted by someone who is presently walking through a loss. Maybe they might be tempted to think, well, if Jesus healed my sorrows, then why am I still experiencing so much sorrow in my life? So this question might be one of the most difficult things to grapple with in the midst of grief, that tension between God's promises and our present pains. How would you answer someone who is having a hard time reconciling these two realities? Well, that's uh, that's a really good question, Christine, and it's not an easy one uh, to answer. But I would say probably the simplest answer would be that we live in the here and now, uh, but also as Christians, we we live in the already but not yet. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the promises of God bring comfort and healing to our hurting hearts right now, but never fully completely, mm-hmm. never fully in this life. And And that, I believe, is also by God's design. Because if his comfort and inner healing were complete now, then we would be even more tempted to think that all of our longings can be satisfied in this life, by this world, or even by our circumstances changing for the better. But the Bible is honest. The Bible says we groan. Along with the rest of creation, we groan. We long for the day when God will make all things right, when when the redemption story will be finished. But that's not going to happen until Jesus comes again. So in Jesus, we have right now an empathetic priest and comforter, someone who has been tempted in all ways and yet has never sinned. He is the man of sorrows. He fully understands how much grief that mankind's sin has brought into this world. But also in Jesus, we find a soon and coming king. And when he comes, he will judge all wickedness. He will put forever to an end all suffering. So right now, he is making all things new Mm -hmm. through the gospel and through the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's still a day coming 
in the future when all things shall truly be new and all will be restored and death and crying and suffering will be no more. So, yes, God comforts us right now in our suffering through his word, but yet it's incomplete because we're looking for that day when Jesus comes again. Can you help us understand why seeing Jesus as the man of sorrows is such a comfort when we're grappling with grief? What does his sympathy mean for us in these times? You know, sympathy means um, someone who understands, someone who cares, someone who comes alongside another person in their time of need. And so I think as we think about how life really hurts, Sometimes we we feel forsaken, we feel alone, but we need to embrace the truth that Jesus has experienced those feelings and more. The Father turned away from Jesus when our guilt and sin were placed upon him because he on the cross became the Lamb of God. He was punished in our place so that he could take away our sin. And on the cross, Jesus was abandoned, and he was abandoned so that you and I would never have to be abandoned, that you and I would never have to be turned away. So Jesus understands our pain, no matter what's causing it. And so I like to remind myself that there is no sadness, no hurt, no loss that Jesus does not know personally. He can relate to all of it because he is the man of sorrows. And so this is such comforting news, you know, to the hurting heart. And and we need to remember that, that Jesus has experienced in his earthly life grief, pain, and loss. He wept at his friend's grave. He was misunderstood. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed by a so-called friend. He hung in our place on the cross, and when he did, he was separated from his Father for the first time in all of eternity. I mean, think about it. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together forever from eternity, and yet on the cross— During those three hours of darkness in the afternoon, the Bible says that the Father turned his face away from the Son. That was the first time in all of eternity. And the reason is because at that moment, our sin was placed upon Jesus, and God, being holy and righteous, cannot look at sin. And so Jesus understands what it feels like to be alone, more alone than anyone has ever felt. And so he understands the agony of our loss. He understands our pain. He he understands our sense of aloneness. But he says to us, I love you. (laughs) But he says even more than that. He says, I love you and I know. I know your hurts. I know your losses. And I'm here for you. Yeah, just really important reminders, especially when we feel like no one else around us is understanding the pain that we're going through. Yeah, right. Because grief and loss, in many ways, while there are similarities between people, it's such an individual experience. It's your own soul grappling with, you know, your your past, the history you had with that person or that thing that you valued. And uh, so it's just so individual in nature in some ways, but knowing that even though the people that we love, the people around us trying to support us. They can't walk with us everywhere that we go in our grief experience, yet there is one who has sympathy for us and has experienced what we have gone through, who can and does walk with us in all of those dark places. 
And what you just said, Christine, is so important for us in our own growth as ministers of grace and comfort to one another in times of grief, because there are so many similarities and commonalities in our grief experiences, and yet there are no two grief experiences that are absolutely identical in all of ways. Right. And, and so to be able to be compassionate and gracious and empathetic with one another is so important. But even when we fail, you know, even when we fail as comforters of one another, we know that Jesus fully and completely and perfectly knows and he comforts and he is there for us. In a chapter in the book called The Unsearchable Ways of God, you offer readers three stabilizing truths to cling to in the midst of deep grief and loss. Would you spend a few moments sharing those truths with us? Sure. Yeah, the first truth I think that is so uh, stabilizing to us in, in times of grief, especially when it's really something that was unexpected perhaps in our lives, is that sometimes God's ways are impossible to understand. But he's always wise and he's always good. As a brand new believer, the couple that was actually discipling me actively for a year and a half brought to my mind uh, one night Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. As a brand new believer, I, I you know I didn't know the scriptures, <laughs> so but I have gone back to that verse so many times in my life, and and Moses says there the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And what that means is that we cannot know all that God knows. We cannot know all that God is doing in and through our suffering. But we can know certain truths, and we can know the truths that are revealed in his word, and, and one of which is God is good, God does good, God is near, he is wise, he, he's always faithful and goes on and on and on. There's so many truths. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that his hand of providence is mysterious in our lives, but there is never a reason to doubt his character or to doubt his love for us. And I, and I think that's where loss is actually a blessing to us. And I, I say that with care because I don't want someone to misunderstand. What I mean by that is that loss gives us the opportunity to embrace this truth. And to rest in the Lord, that his ways are impossible for us to understand. But he is always wise and always good. Uh, another truth, the second truth that, that really I have found to be uh, so comforting is that even though God's purposes may be unknown to us, uh, he is the rock. And, and because he is the rock, we we can trust him always. And, and I think of Psalm 18.2, where, where David embraced that truth. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I mean, how many times did I just say the word my? You know, that that's David taking biblical truth and applying it to his personal situation. And God wants us to do that. And a third truth is that God gives, but he also then has the right to take away. And even when he takes away from us, we should praise his name. This is probably the hardest of these truths to apply. Mm -hmm. At least it is for me. 
I mean, when my heart is aching for relief from the pain of grief and loss, I confess I don't always feel like praising God. And sometimes I need other people to help me. And that's when sometimes I'll, I'll listen to music, uh, you know, God honoring worship music that helps me to praise the Lord. And, and, you know, maybe that's something that some of your listeners can can relate to. But in times like this, you know, we we discover that biblical truths about God stabilize our faith and they help us to regain our emotional footing, you know, provided that we meditate on biblical truth and we use biblical truth to talk back to ourselves, so to speak, as as Martin Lloyd-Jones often said. Mm-hmm. Well, I love to spend a few moments to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in the midst of our grief. I think it's easy to forget about the role he plays in our healing from grief yes. and loss, because we're so tempted to try and fix ourselves to be rid of the pain that we're walking through. Would you help us to understand what the Holy Spirit's job is and why he is so instrumental as we navigate these seasons of sorrow? Yeah, you know, it's Jesus himself who called the Holy Spirit the comforter. And yet in times of grief and loss, we often, like you said, we forget about his ministry. We forget about how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And so, you know, Jesus promised to send the Spirit. But I think it's interesting to notice the context in which Jesus made that promise to send the Spirit. It was right after he made an announcement to the disciples that that he was leaving, mm-hmm. that he he's leaving soon, and he's going to go and build and uh, a home for them and furnish this heavenly home, and and that they would stay on the earth, but that he was going home, and so it's in the context of potential loss that Jesus says to them, "I'm going to send the Spirit to you," and then he says, "I will not leave you as orphans." And what he means is, I will not leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in my place. And he calls the Spirit another helper. And and that title refers to one who comes alongside to exhort and strengthen and encourage and comfort. And that not only the Holy Spirit would be with them, but that he would be in them. And that is such an incredible comfort to any Christian, that the Spirit of God lives within us, and he is the comforter. And the way that he comforts us is through the book that he wrote. The Holy Spirit is the divine author of the scriptures. And so when we open the word of God and we go there to find the comfort that we need from God, the Holy Spirit is the one who then applies that truth to our hearts in a way that brings the comfort and the healing that we're looking for. It makes me even think of John 14, 26, when Jesus says to the disciples, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Mm. I've read that verse a lot, but for some reason recently, the two words that have really stuck out to me is that the Holy Spirit teaches us everything that we need to know through the scriptures, but also he reminds us of everything that Christ has Mm. said. And so he's testifying Christ to our hearts, our broken hearts sometimes, Mm. why the gospel matters, why our identity in Christ is important, what our hope really is. And so he's just there constantly ministering to us and encouraging us. Yeah. And I think that you pointing out that word, you know, remind or, or bring to remembrance is 
also, again, just shows the honesty of the scriptures. We are forgetful people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's in the midst of grief and loss that we can be tempted to forget all that God has done for us and all that he has given to us. And and the enemy can take advantage of us in times of grief and loss. And we can be like Eve in the garden and we can just focus on the one thing that we feel as though God has withheld from us. When in reality, like you said, all that Christ has done for us needs to be brought back to our, our minds continually. In another chapter called Anticipation, you write, quote, Your grief is real, but it is not final. Lament, crying out for what is lost, is a common and necessary part of the Christian's experience in this fallen world. But loss never gets the final word. What do you mean by this observation? What is it about living with anticipation that offers us sustaining grace in our grief? Uh, Well, you know, to live with anticipation means to look forward uh, with the eyes of faith to the fullness of redemption. You know, Paul does this in 2 Corinthians where he writes, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So there, Paul is acknowledging that our bodies are decaying every day. They're getting closer and closer to the day that we will see the Lord. And so really, I think what Paul is doing there is reminding us that sorrow has a purpose, and its purpose is to lead us towards something more certain than this momentary life. Our grief can direct us to God, toward learning to trust in his promise, the, the eternal promise of the gospel. And that then becomes the deepest anchor for our soul. That's really what the apostle is doing in those verses. He is anticipating the future. And by anticipating the future, his heart is being ministered to. And so living with anticipation for the day that Jesus makes all things new it deeply ministers to our hurting hearts. You know, when we think of the day when the bodies of Christians are raised from the grave and and we receive new glorified ones, and these new glorified bodies will, will never be susceptible to cancer or strokes or multiple sclerosis or heart disease or a thousand other ailments and disabilities. When we When we think of that, the fact that Our bodies will never die again, that we will no longer be away from the Lord, but we will be with him and we will live with him and we will be whole and complete for all of eternity. I mean, that day is coming. So so that day of the final resurrection, when death will be forever destroyed is a day that we should look forward to. And living with anticipation for that day will so deeply minister grace and comfort to us now while we hurt and while we experience loss. Really great reminders there, Paul. Thank you so much for kind of diving into that a little bit more. 
You know, it's not uncommon for anger to be associated with experiences of grief and loss. Sometimes overwhelming rage comes over us, and we really don't know how to engage the Lord in those moments. Can you offer us some insight about the issue of anger and grief? Yeah, this has been so helpful to me as I years ago was uh, meditating on John 11 and uh, actually John 11:35, which is the shortest verse in the Bible. It, it says, Jesus wept. And I just stopped to consider that and I thought, you know, if Jesus was not afraid to cry, then surely we should not be. But I think as I studied that out more deeply, I noticed something that we typically miss, and that is that Jesus' grief was mixed with anger. Hmm. Uh, as you study the words that are used there in that context, that um, yes, he had sympathetic tears that he was shedding for his own loss of his friend, but also for the others who were grieving. It says that Jesus was greatly troubled or agitated, and that, that refers to an inner experience, that he was troubled and agitated inside. And that's really important for us to understand because it reminds us that death is not natural. Death is unnatural. Uh, it disturbs us, and it should disturb us. But as Christians, it should also deepen our appreciation of the victory that Jesus secured for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. So when Jesus observed Mary weeping and, and wailing, actually, he groaned in his spirit and he became angry within himself. But I think we need to be careful here to, to be sure that we remember and, and notice that Jesus' anger was always totally under control. And it was never self-serving. It was always and only for the glory of God. But what this does is it, it alerts us to the reality that Jesus hates sin. He hates death. He hates the devil. He hates the pain that loss brings into our lives. But he also promised to give us all that we need to walk in humility and faith. And I have just personally been uh, really helped by Psalm 37, 8 as well, as well as the John 11 passage. In Psalm 37, 8, we find this exhortation, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. You know, that warning is there for a reason. It, it's saying, be careful, be careful about anger, because anger, when not properly controlled tends only to evil. It, it leads to more evil. So yeah, I think, it's, again, it's another honest admission that we need to come to in times of loss, that the pain of loss might tempt us to blame God or to question his goodness, especially if we compare our painful circumstances with other people that in their lives that, that appear at least to us to be trouble-free. And, and so then we can start questioning God and we can think, well, why do others seem to coast through life? And mm -hmm. uh, why do I experience such pain? And has God forgotten me? And, and this is where we really need to guard our hearts because at its core, anger is a judgment that something important to us has gone wrong. And when we feel the pain of loss, we may form a judgment about it. And that judgment then in its emotional response really make up the components of anger. So that's where we need to be careful because sometimes we hear people say, you know, something like this. Well, if you're, if you're ticked off at God, then tell him so. because He's a big boy. He can handle it. 
but really, you know, is that advice biblically sound? I mean, yes, God's shoulders are big enough and broad enough to handle all of our burdens and all of our complaints. But if anger is essentially, by nature, a judgment that our heart makes concerning an injustice, then anger at God is is not okay. And, and actually, it, it's never helpful to us in the, the processing of our loss. So, and this doesn't mean that we cannot cry out to God in honest laments of pain and injustice. In fact, the writers of the Psalms did that. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah did that. So that can actually be an expression of our faith in God, mm-hmm. crying out to God about our loss and our sorrow and, and even our feelings of unfairness. God will meet us in our time of need. So again, the answer is the same over and over. What we've been saying is the answer is to draw near to God. No matter the loss, no matter the grief, draw near to God. He knows, he understands, and he comforts. I was really helped by Mark Brogup's book on lament called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. And he talks, Mm, it's all about lament, really. And that was the first book I read solely on that topic. And just kind of building off of what you were talking about, he illustrates that part of biblical lament is bringing your complaint to God. Mm -hmm. But the importance of not getting stuck there. And I think that's where really we can get ourselves caught in that that unrighteous anger and those temptations to bitterness, you know, even towards God, when we're just stuck bringing our complaint, bringing our complaint, but our laments are not ultimately leading us to trust and to trust in God and to humble ourselves and submit to his sovereignty and providence and care, even though what's going on in our life may not look a whole lot like care to us, just learning to trust him in those times. And so I just wanted to make mention of that, that there is a difference between bringing God our complaints for the purposes of drawing near to him versus just simply complaining. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between complaining to God and complaining about God. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good point. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, Paul, we are just about out of time in our conversation today. I know I've been so blessed by the insights that you've shared, but I'd like to invite you to do one more thing, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is currently walking through a season of grief and loss. Maybe they aren't sure if the heavy weight upon their soul will ever lighten up. Perhaps they're wrestling with doubts and anger and confusion, and they feel like they can barely make it through the day. What would you say to this person to encourage them to entrust their sorrows to Jesus as he carries and sustains them on their journey? I would say, you know, whatever your grief, whatever your pain, whatever your loss, there is comfort available. And this comfort is rooted in the character and work of God in the work of the Trinity. I mean, God the Father is attentive to you. He knows your loss. He loves you. He cares for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the compassionate and understanding Savior who experienced grief in every way imaginable. He knows what you are going through, and he he wants to enter into your grief with you and walk through it with you. And the Holy Spirit is the heaven-sent comforter who brings you into the body of Christ, and he, he applies the words of Scripture to your heart, for the sake of inner healing. So I would just say, 
lean into the Lord. You know, and maybe you're one of those that Christine was talking about earlier that you're perhaps stuck right now. You're stuck in your grief. Uh, maybe you've been there a little while. Maybe you've been there a long time. But I would just say to you, lean into the Lord. Don't allow the enemy to take advantage of your grief and hurt and pull you away. Lean into Jesus. He will meet your needs. He will fill your heart and your mind with his enduring hope and peace. Well, thank you so much for sharing those encouragements, Paul. I, again, commend the book to the listeners. Uh, It makes a great gift for someone that you know who is walking through a season of grief and sorrow, or if that's you, you would definitely, I would say, benefit greatly and find so much comfort in the meditations that are in this book. Well, Paul, for those who have not heard you on the podcast before, where can they find you to get connected with your writing ministry? and all of the resources that you have available? Well, pretty much the main hub is my blog, which is counselingoneanother.com. And that that's the main hub, and that'll take you in a number of other locations. But that's where you can find articles and books and sermons and all the stuff that grows out of my pastoral ministry here at Cornerstone Community Church in Ohio. And I would just say, too, if you are interested in connecting with Paul, he puts out blog posts almost every day. It's quite astonishing. (laughs) Uh, On his website, counselingoneanother.com, I follow it closely, and I encourage you to do so as well. If you're interested, you can scroll down in the show notes, click the link that's available there, and that will take you to the show notes page where you can access Paul's information and also order a copy of his brand new book. Well, Paul, thanks so much for joining us today on this conversation. I know we've talked about a lot of difficult things here as we wrestle with grief and loss, but I really do feel like it was helpful. And I just hope that the audience that was listening today is helped as well. Well, thanks so much again for being on the program on your podcast, Christine. I really appreciate you and all you're doing to bring um, helpful resources into the ears and hearts of people. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.